Well, I, I want to thank you again for being here. It is my privilege to open the Word of God together as we are challenged with his, uh, his Word. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, familiar passage, I'm sure. I've preached in various ways on this passage over the years many times. But I want us, as we kind of wrap up this series on Friends Alive, and we've been talking about community I want to spend some time talking about meaningful relationships within God's church. And so I invite you to stand as we receive this together, as we prepare our hearts to, to uh, contemplate what God wants to have uh, shared this morning. We begin here with verse 44, Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Would you just pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen, amen. Beginning here with verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, this is shortly after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has fallen. And they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. I've got a friend. I want you, you know Hunter. Hunter is, uh, Hunter Balon is one of our young men who recently graduated the University of Dayton. Hunter, come on up. I, I, he has an interesting story that I wanted him to share. We were having breakfast the other day, and uh, Hunter is on his way soon to Seattle, and I'll let him explain to you uh, what he's going to be doing there, but then I'd like him to share a story of, of, of his own experience with church and community, and uh, I, just, I just have come to appreciate this young man. We make some great young people in our church. I'm going to tell you that. A part, and, and Hunter is, is a great example of that. So, young man, my friend, my brother, would you uh, just share your heart this morning, and then, uh, then I'm going to preach, Okay. Morning, church. My name is Hunter. Um, as Pastor Jeff said, I am just graduated from the University of Dayton, and I will be leaving to go to Seattle soon to work with the Navy. So he wanted me to talk before I leave. And um, today, we were supposed to talk about relationships and community, and I just wanted to talk about how the body of Christ has also impacted me. I think we can all agree that community is a group of people who share something in common. That commonality could be the sports teams that they support, or their neighborhood, their church, or even their preference in movies. But today I want to discuss two communities that I encountered throughout my time in college, one bad but, and one good. It's important to discuss both so that way we can ensure that we are growing positive communities that accurately reflect Christ instead of negative ones. I want to start with an example of a bad community, and I want to make it clear that the label bad does not necessarily reflect the people who participate in said activities, merely their actions and what they cultivate by, particip 
participating in said actions. I attended the University of Dayton, which is a Catholic university. However, UD is probably known, more known by the locals that live in it as the school that had the riot police called on them multiple times for partying way too much. And um, at UD, I actually had a friend who's a writer for the UD magazine. And that magazine is mainly marketed to alumni. So she would often tell me how hard it is to write about some of the alumni because while some of their accomplishments outside of school are quite impressive, um, what they did in school could often be boiled down to partying and drunkenness. And they would often word this underneath the guise of, hey, I participated in a community there. While I also attended Dayton, I worked in a lab on campus that had many prospective students and their parents pass through as a part of campus tours. And naturally, many parents would ask us workers what we liked best about UD. Many of my coworkers would say community, and we all know what they meant by community. That was partying and drunkenness. I want to make clear UD is a really, really good school with many good people in it. However, if you participated in a positive community at UD, odds are when asked what you did in school, you'd probably say, oh, I did running club or I was in an intramural sports team instead of UD has a really, really good community because we all know what you mean by community. Because it's branded as a Catholic school, I can only imagine what having a community built on excessive partying could do to reflect Christ and someone that doesn't know better. The positive community I would like to discuss is the church that I went to called Parkview Church of the Nazarene. There I was involved in a young group. Um, you can see the picture behind me of the young adult group, headed off by an older couple called Peggy and Wayne. I started going there pre-COVID, and the group was really, really small then, consisting of mainly young adults that grew up in the church, and occasionally people like me who came in from colleges. Um, Peggy and Wayne would always invite people over to their house and ensure that people would be fed if they got invited over. Peggy was a really good cook, and you know that was an incentive to go over. So. COVID hits, I get sent home while God worked in that young adult group through Peggy and Wayne. When I finally came back, I was the minority as an American in a large group of Indian and Middle Eastern students, some Christian and some who were not, from UD and Wright State began to attend. Peggy and Wayne poured out their love on these people who literally came halfway around the world. In return, they would invite their friends and in return, those friends would invite more friends. It got to the point where I felt comfortable inviting a friend from India because of the influence that those Christians had there. Peggy's and Wayne's influence not only affected my one friend, but it also infected me to show Christ throughout Running Club, which I participated in, simply by opening up my house in the same way that they did. UD is known for its on-campus housing, and during my second semester of my senior year, I was living in a six-person townhouse with only three people, so I figured I could host people. <laughs> so I decided to start inviting people over from running club, or people who were just friends in general. One day I decided to make food from GFS for some of my friends when my roommate made the offhand comment of, this is the first time I haven't had a microwaved meal in a long time. That got me thinking of all the sophomores and freshmen who haven't had something 
home cooked in a while, and people who weren't that good at cooking as well, who haven't had something home cooked in a while. That also got me thinking of Peggy and Wayne and how they would just feed people and invite people over. So that's when I decided that when I had people over, I would also feed them. While I may be making the same GFS food that people would get in the dining halls, there's something really, really different about having a friend make food for you than getting it from a dining hall. While Christ wasn't necessarily being discussed at these gatherings, it is my hope that even one person that I invited over could feel the love of Christ and the impact of a positive community. I'm extremely thankful for Peggy and Wayne and the community that they cultivated so that I would be influenced to do good work as well. God made the church so that way we could be in a positive community, so I'd like to encourage everyone to participate in good communities. Remember that a community can be sin-filled and cultivate also negative lifestyles. So whether you're an alumni who partied 24-7 or a Peggy and a Wayne who humbly served, remember that you cultivate the communities that you are a part of. So, so Hunter, uh, tell us a little bit, because you, you may have missed it. He's going to be going to Seattle, going to be working for the Navy. What, what does that mean? What are you going to be doing? Um, I'm just essentially making sure things don't go wrong. <laughs> I, um, I get to work on aircraft carriers and submarines. And Did you yeah. hear that? <laughs> this guy, they're going to fly him out to aircraft carriers and nuclear submarines, and they're going to say, is it all right? Is it working or is it not working? And he's going to figure that out. This is Hunter, okay? So... I, that should give you uh, uh, a lot of encouragement. Uh, wow. Uh, so, so we're very, very proud of him. He's going to be going out soon enough, probably a couple months to two to five months. But uh, let's, let's, let's pray for Hunter, shall we? Lord, uh, we just thank you for uh, this young man. And Lord, quite frankly, it's hard to say goodbye. Uh, we keep sending these people out that we love. And Lord, I know that you have your hand on him wherever you take him, Lord. Would you just go with him, go before him, go after him, and Lord, continue to use him for your glory's sake. May he find a community in Seattle that will uh, encourage him in his walk with you, and Lord, continue to use him as a testimony of your grace and faithfulness. Pray for, we pray, Lord, for, for uh, his parents, Kevin and Rosie, as they uh, make this adjustment. I know this is difficult, and yet they're excited for the next step for, for Hunter. We bless him through the, the power of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I love you. You know, Randy Frazee, some of you know that name. He noted that after God created Adam in the Garden of Eden and said, it's not good for man to be alone, that God was saying more than just something about what marriage should be. God was, in fact, underscoring our need for fellowship as human beings. Frazee went on to cite several studies, one from the American Institute of Stress that show a sense of community is essential not only for a meaningful life, but in fact for good health. For example, research was conducted on 232 patients who had undergone cardiac surgery. Of those patients, 21 died within the first six months. 
quote, two significant mortality predictors that emerged were a lack of participation in social or community groups and the absence of strength and comfort from religion. Unquote. He went on to cite another study that suggested social activity can predict cardiac mortality just as strongly as elevated cholesterol levels. So if you think about it, your doctor on your next visit should not only give you a blood test, but probably be asking, how often do you attend your small group in church? The, the studies show that isolation contributes to illness just as much as death uh, as smoking uh, does. Frazee quotes, uh, this, is, this is what he says, so if you feel like you must smoke, for goodness sake, don't do it alone, okay? Interesting. Now, one of the things we struggle with as our culture continues to change dramatically, and boy, does it ever in these last decades. You know, it used to be that, that neighbors would get to know each other because in the cool of the evening, they'd, they'd hang out on the front porch and they'd see each other walking by. Of course, now we hide behind privacy fences in the backyard, lost in our screens and tablets on phones with, with air conditioning drowning out the neighborhood sounds. Families will rarely ever sit down for a meal together. So many activities, perhaps, sports, dance, scouts, none of which are bad, but real connection, that's something else. Even in church, I think about it, growing up, potlucks used to be commonplace. Ice cream socials and prayer meetings were mixers where people took the time to get to know one another. It wasn't unusual for a church event to last the entire day, and a church picnic would have been the highlight of the year for families. But things have changed. For, for so many, church has become kind of a one-hour experience where attendees hope for instant inspiration before racing off to the parking lot to be the first out. Did you notice that in Acts chapter 2 here, we, we hear the church described somewhat differently. We see that they meet together in the temple courts, and there were about 3,000 at the beginning, so it was a large, large group, but they also met in individual homes and shared with those who were in need and prayed for those who were in trouble. In Acts chapter 12, when Peter had been arrested and was in prison and probably headed toward execution, many in the church gathered together to pray fervently for him in the house of Mary, the mother of John. They were even a bit surprised when God answered their prayer. You remember Peter showed up. He'd been freed by the angel. They didn't know what to do with that. My point is, is that God certainly intended for his church to be a fellowship not just an audience. And, and that kind of church, the Bible says, grew, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So one of the things I want to challenge us this morning is to consider how are we building meaningful relationships. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So what does that look like? Well, let me give you some thoughts. 
One of the things I want to present to you is I think a church should be a place where the depth of some of your relationships is moving from casual to more intimate. Now, most of us have some casual relationships, people you see on occasion whose company you even enjoy. And you may have even a handful of relationships where you go out to eat or maybe you visit someone in their home occasionally. But the truth is, all of us can only have a few intimate friends. These are, the, these are the people who know you, they know everything about you, and they love you anyway, right? Therapist Will Miller asked the question, who in your life has refrigerator rights? By that, of course, he means who in your life is allowed to come into your home, feel comfortable enough to open the refrigerator and make a sandwich without asking for permission? Those are the intimate friends or perhaps they just have a lot of nerve, I suppose, you know, you're kidding me. But think about Jesus. He had an inner circle of three disciples. We all know about the, the 12 disciples, but then there were the three who he held very close, and then there were 130 of those who followed him to the end. So, so not everyone can be a close, intimate friend. That's not what I'm saying here. But I would like us to find a way as a church to press into the idea and, and work rather hard at developing kind of environment where we can have those kinds of friendships. We all need someone in our life that's glad we showed up. Someone who misses us when we miss. I hate to hear when someone says, do you, do you know that name of that couple who sat in front of me? They've been coming for about three years. Every Sunday during greeting time, we, we say hi to each other, but I haven't seen them for quite a while. Did something happen? And they have no idea. That happens a lot. So the church should be a place where we press in and know each other, but the church should also be a place where the extent of your relationships is moving from local to more universal. One of the cool things about being a part of a church is you begin to develop an ever-widening role, a circle as you mature in Christ. You know, typically you, you might start coming to a church and you, you know one or two people. In a few years, that circle widens and you know 30 or 40 fairly well. Maybe along the way, you, you take a mission trip. We're, we're uh, taking a trip uh, to Malawi in the end of October to set up a, a larger group mission trip that will happen in 2024. You take a mission trip or you begin to support a missionary like Ruth Ann or the Fanes who we support, and suddenly you find yourself having developed friendships across the world. Some people in our church get called out. I, I think about the Fanes, or I think about Hunter heading out to Seattle, and suddenly we have people we know all over. The church should also be a place, perhaps, where the focus of your relationship is changing from pastor to friends. I, I find it interesting that most surveys show the number one reason that people begin attending a church is the preaching. But the number one reason people stay in a church is relationships. And I've said for years, if you don't make friends at Friends Church, you're not going to be here very long. Because sermons become commonplace. You get used to, to my voice. 
but relationships ultimately matter more. So I hope you like my preaching. I like my preaching, but Dr. Robert Burns was a senior leader, pastor at uh, Peachtree Christian Church in Atlanta years ago. The church did not announce when he wasn't preaching. And so it became commonplace for scores of people to take communion and then get up and leave before the associate got up to preach on any morning. And it was kind of embarrassing. So one Sunday morning, the worship leader said, listen, after we take communion today, our associate minister will be preaching for us. Those of you who worship Dr. Burns may leave at this time. Those of you who are here to worship Christ may stay. Well, everyone's decided to stay that Sunday. You know, as you mature in Christ, one of the things that happens is your focus becomes Jesus, and, and in, in, in following Jesus and understanding that his fellowship is wider than any person, because Jeff or anyone else will let you down, but we move from that, that understanding that as our focus is on Jesus, it also becomes on his body, the body of Christ, the people of Christ. We have fellowship with one another. Now, why are relationships meaningful? Why is that important? Well, I want to just go through this, and I'm going to do this very quickly, give you some benefits of meaningful relationships. One, Christian friends are going to encourage you when you are doing right. And that's important. Hebrews 10.24 reads, Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. I need you to encourage me. You need me. People in the world aren't necessarily going to encourage you in generosity or prayer or forgiveness or faithfulness. Christian friends, however, will help reinforce you to become more and more like Jesus. Way to go. Keep it up. I noticed this about you. Christian friends will also pray for you when you face trials. Now, the friends you have in this world may care about you and they will sympathize with you, but there is something different about a person who will honestly and sincerely pray for you that will give you strength and spiritually empower you. James 5.16 reminds us, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I need the, the prayers of the saints when I'm hurting. But there's something else that happens with Christian friends. Christian friends will confront you when you're wrong. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So if your language starts slipping, your attitude gets sour, your marriage is endangered, your values are eroded, your ego has become inflated, Christian friends should be there and notice that and discern and then confront it. Enough of this. This is a challenge to you. Now, others, 
you may have friends who see nothing wrong with that. They may live the same way. They may think it's no big deal. But if you are in Christ and, and, and you have Christian friends, they, they, will, they will challenge you and in fact are even told to withdraw fellowship from you if that person is defiant. Remember, Paul chastised the church at Corinth because they did not excommunicate a man who was committing a grave sin. But the reason was, was to show him how serious his waywardness was and to bring him back into the fold. Where, where because he was kind of outside of the circle, he would sense a sense of loss and he would want to be restored. And by the way, that's where we are always that's always our, our effort. Galatians 6.1 reminds us, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And so someone said that a true friend accepts who you are, but also helps you become who you should be. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, Yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. My friends, in our world today, if you deeply offend someone, they're going to hold a grudge, keep you at an arm's distance for a long time. But you know, the church is to be different. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive. Whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. We ought to be really exceptional at forgiving each other. We should be ready and open and willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And on the other side of that, we should say, hey, I love you, brother. I care about you. Welcome back. That's what we are able to do. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. When we understand the immensity of his grace and all that he did and the forgiveness we've enjoyed with him, how could we not be willing to forgive each other? But let me give you one more. Meaningful relationships, it seems to me, are a positive testimony to the world. Hunter's story this morning, I think, is a really good example of that. That there was something about that fellowship, Christ-centered as it was, but you know what? Those from maybe an Islamic or Hindu background noticed, or maybe just a secular background, said, you know what, I'd like to be a part of that. There's some good food there. There's some good people there. I want to be there too. Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I don't think the world is much impressed with our doctrine or our buildings or our music or our services. It seems to me that they do take note of how we love one another and care about one another. And so we ought to get really good at that. My desire, my hope for our church as we enter in and press into the fall and as we roll out this Friends Alive series is that every one of us is going to be challenged to take one more step in, give maybe one more hour toward 
being a part of the fellowship. It, it might be a, a Bible study or community fellowship. It might be the Wednesday night. It might be various things. But we want the fellowship of this church to be so contagious, so loving, so fun that the world takes note and it's drawn in too and says, I want that for me so that they can ultimately meet Jesus. Francis Schaeffer wrote, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is that final apologetic. So how is it we develop those relationships then? Well, let me just say it, it's gonna take effort. It's probably not gonna happen by accident. And the truth is, let's face it, why, why do we often not go there? Well, some of us have fear, genuine fear. One, we fear rejection. Yeah, what if we reach out to somebody and they don't reciprocate? That's awkward. I'll tell you, more than once, and this is hard, Mary and I have gone to dinner, been in someone's home, invited them to dinner in our home, and that was the last time we saw that couple. It's happened. And you know, that hurts and it's a little frustrating. It's not always gonna go as you hoped. But you know what? Life goes on. You just keep going, you keep trying. How many of us fear overcommitment? Oh my goodness, Pastor, we've got so many things going on pressing in our time and so we don't want to be, think about fitting something else into our lives and our greatest fear is the fear of being out of our comfort zone well we're afraid of getting stuck for a night with people we don't enjoy and who are boring us who wants to get trapped in a boring conversation or someone who just doesn't realize when to shut up I've been there I won't point, but I've been there, I know. Have you ever been invited to someone's house and they're having eight or 10 people over at, at a time and, and, and you drive up and where, where is everyone parked? They park on the street, why is that? They got a whole driveway there, why is that? You don't wanna get trapped, right? Man, if, uh, if the conversation gets boring or I get tired, I need escape. I need to be able to get out easily, even though the driveway is right there. Says something about us. So let me just briefly kind of go through some ways that we can make an effort toward pressing into these relationships during this season in our church. You know, maybe God is calling you to start a fellowship similar to the way Hunter uh, mentioned with his friends. I love that. They just started inviting young people into their home and if it was three or four, that was fine and if it grew to 25 or 30, that was fine too. We'll do that. But God has strategically placed you in a position in a, with resources and opportunity and, and you have the potential to, to invite and just be hospitable. I think there are some young people in this area who might enjoy and appreciate something like that. Why not consider joining one of our small group Bible studies? Better yet, we're 
volunteer and decide to be a host or a leader. Kim, you're here this morning. Kim is, is doing a, a, a connection point next week. You're, you're looking for hosts and leaders and going to do some training, I think, next week after, after service, right? Uh, maybe that's an interest to you, or, or maybe you're going to join one of our growth groups and say, you know what, it's time for me to, to start doing something. Or, or join a Sunday morning class. Gary Cron, in this hour, uh, beginning on, what is it, September 10th, uh, I think, is going to start the uh, 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 Sunday morning class on spiritual disciplines and experiencing Christ in our everyday lives. Or join the group at 11 a.m. After this service, we're going to do a sermon discussion group where we're just going to hang out, have some coffee. Mark, I think he's back there, and TJ are going to help lead. They're going to just have a discussion on, on what did Pastor Jeff say and help clarify what it was that we were talking about. And, and participate in that. Ask questions. Get to know people. I'd encourage you to linger linger come early on sunday morning one of the reasons we're moving 9 30 to or uh, this service to 9 30 is to encourage you to maybe just come a little bit earlier and just hang out with each other but also so that there'll be more interconnection between the two services but get some coffee be ready to engage ask someone their name get a donut and be approachable during greeting time at church invite that person who sits next to you or been there for years and you say you know what I'm going over to Red Robin afterward why don't you come to lunch with me stick around after church instead of racing to your car plan to spend another 10 or 15 minutes and just engage someone and try to get up their name try to get their name strike up a conversation Determined to visit someone who's a shut-in or determined to pray for them. Maybe you could take a meal to, a, to someone who is hurting, who has lost some, someone recently, or you know their family is going through a difficult situation. We have a meal train that we need some help with right now. It's a beautiful way to make a difference. You could volunteer. You know, we have a hospitality team and a security team, and we have teachers and ushers, greeters every Sunday morning. That's a great way to get to know some people. You're here early, you get to know names. We have needs in our youth program, volunteers. Upward, basketball coming up. We need coaches, we need referees, we need kids to be a part of that. Pickleball. Pastor Rich is a pickleball king around here. He loves, and you guys, I, I see uh, Renette, and uh, you guys enjoy pickleball so much. That's a fun way to get to know people. I could go on and on. In fact, there is a full calendar in the back that has a full listing of all our adult discipleship programming. It is full. You could have something literally every night of the week, and we're not trying to convince you to do that at all. But the reason we have so many things is so that you can choose something to be a part of. Now, having said all of that, I don't want to miss this. I want you to remember that the closest friend we have is Jesus Christ. Earthly friends are going to let you down for certain. But Jesus, the Bible says, is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
He doesn't fail. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Jesus sacrificed his life to save you. But I want you to remember this. On that night before he went to the cross, he took his friends into the garden. And then he took three of his closest friends into the innermost parts of the garden and he told them, pray, pray. If Jesus Christ needed close friends, I do too. The Bible says greater love has no one than this, that that man would lay his life down for his friends. Jesus has laid his life down for you. And he says, follow me. Follow me and develop a community that's like me. He is your friend and your savior. And there is no more meaningful relationship than that. May the North Olmstead Friends Church truly live up to its name. And may we be the Friends Church as we seek him. Father, I want to pray right now that you would have your way in this place, in our fellowship, that, Lord, we would just love each other so radically the world would take note. And, Lord, maybe that means some of us have to make some adjustments and maybe set up some new priorities. But I believe you want to do something new in our church and develop a community here, Lord, that's passionate about knowing each other, loving each other, helping each other, encouraging each other. But Lord, we need a fresh filling of your spirit to do it. So Lord, would you do here what you did then? Form in us a community, Lord, that loves you and loves one another with everything we are. I pray this in your name. Amen.